And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to Episode 7. This week we're discussing Season 1, Episode 6 of Doctor Who, Dalek, and Season 1, Episode 6 of Buffy, The Pack. As always, we suggest you watch these episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay, so... We're going to do something slightly different this time. Before we jump right into talking about the pack, um, I want to bring up something which is pretty interesting. We've noted a couple times ways that these episodes are sort of, between the shows, are sort of paralleling each other, um, even though these stories have no really nothing to connect them. But yeah. they seem to be going together rather neatly. And we've wondered, you know... I guess we'll see as we go. Is that because they're each the first season of a show? Is this just sort of standard narrative television for a first season? Or is this just how you do a television season full stop? You know, maybe we'll see these same sorts of patterns season two and three and so forth. Or maybe it's just a giant whomping coincidence. Who knows? But (laughs) in any case, um, it's interesting to me that, okay, so we're in... Episode six of the first season, so we're yeah. just about getting to the halfway point of seasons one because both are, I think, twelve or thirteen episodes. They're about the same length, um, and noticeably in these sixth episodes, there's a pretty serious shift in tone. Um, I mean, they've been fairly dark up till now. There's been, you know. You know, we've heard about the time war, we've heard about Buffy's, you know, difficulties in the past, and, you know, some things which have been traumatic, things have been scary, but I was really, I mean, I, I've seen Dalek, so I knew, okay, this is where it starts to get a little serious, um, yeah. but I wasn't prepared for the pretty horrific stuff that took place in the Buffy episode. Yeah. Um, you know, noticeably more violent than before, and that's in a show about vampires, so it's saying <laughs> a fair amount. Right, um, right. And, and even, even some of the themes and even some of the aspects of the characters that are being explored are mm. going into slightly more um, uncomfortable places. And I think that's definitely true of the Doctor Who episode, too. Yeah. I mean, that has a pretty high body count, and, um, I mean, the doctor gets tortured, the Dalek gets tortured, so there's physical gruesomeness. But then also what we learn about the doctor and uh, and what he's been through is definitely going to a little bit of a heavier place. So I just wanted to sort of note that that's sort of an interesting parallel. Um, yeah. And just interesting to see these two shows sort of going at the same pace, like literally episode by episode at the same pace. Yeah, no, that is very interesting. And I think um, that may be, like you were saying, it it could just be a factor of um, first season. I mean, there are definitely and and I'm not I'm not ingrained enough in in sort of the idea of how to create a successful season of TV to know, you know, what at what point do you introduce particular aspects over the course of a season. But but it does seem to me that there's probably a little of each going on that that maybe it is just a matter of. You know, you don't want to jump into any of these characters right away and show their darkest side, right? You you, you want to be able to sort of get them to be likable and and 
relatable at first and then start revealing maybe some of these other problems and issues that are going on. So it could just be that factor. It could be, um, you know, like you were saying that it just, you know, again, it could just be that, that every season is like this in, in, a uh, TV show. And, and no matter what the show is like, you know, by about middle of the season, uh, if you think of it as like a three act play, you're, you're getting here to the middle of the second act where you are going to start having some darker, uh, themes coming about and, 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 you know, getting into that crisis before you, uh, you know, before you get to sort of the, the climax of the season and, 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 and all of the resolution there. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's very interesting. I like I said, I don't have a particular background in 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 studying TV seasons per se, but but those things seem plausible. And I think as we get into not just the rest of these seasons, because um, once we get into season two of Buffy, we're you know the, they, there's more episodes in right, in, right. in yeah. Buffy uh, than in Doctor Who. So it'll be interesting to see if that pace stays the same or if or if you know, if there's an expansion of, of that idea, um, because there's a longer season, maybe, you know, it's not until season or episode nine or 10 of some of those later seasons where we start seeing some of the other darker aspects of, of right. whatever that season's theme may be, um, right. not to give anything away, but, um, yeah. but you know, yeah, that's, that's a good point to bring up. I think too. So in just thinking about the characters and, and we'll talk, you know, through each episode here. I mean, in particular, I mean, looking at the doctor and Xander are, mm-hmm. are, are kind of the two who we, we get these darker views of, yeah. although, um, although in other characters in, in each, in both episodes, you know, we start sort of see some different aspects to them as well. So, you know, great point, but um, go ahead, take it away for Buffy then. So, okay. well, so what do you want to look at? So, I mean, I think we'll probably talk about the tone throughout, because it yeah. sort of permeates the whole thing. So it does. So rather than um, keep, you know, sort of going with that, I feel like let's just start talking about um, what in our notes we're going to call the monster of the week. So both shows kind of have this idea of the monster of the week. And um, we were talking a little bit be- right before we started recording that I guess we'll see in later seasons of Buffy whether things continue to be um, quite this way, but definitely in the first season, I'm getting a very strong allegory vibe. Um, and mm-hmm. so for anyone who's not a Tolkien aficionado, um, we're going to use the term in the Tolkienian sense, which is a very strict and limited definition, which means allegory is when whenever you can use an equal sign. So a character or a thing or something equals something else. Whereas what he would call applicability is sort of the more the wider symbolism and you know that that something and that something is um in flux it doesn't necessarily mean any one particular thing you know the author may or may not have something in mind but it doesn't matter because you as the reader bring to it you know your own life and associations and if something is sort of fluid enough that it can go in multiple different directions. Um, so, I mean, if we were going to talk about the master, we'd probably talk about him as something that's applicable, that's more widely mythological. Whereas, um, so far this season, I think the monsters of the week, as I see them, are more 
allegorical in the sense that it's almost, I think, like Joss sat down to plan out season one and sort of made a list of, okay, what are the difficulties that people face in high school? And then sort of checked them off one by one and kind of came up with a magical metaphor for that. So, you know, the body swapping with the witches, you know, is his vehicle to talk about parents living vicariously through their kids or, right, right. or, you know, that, or, or, you know, vampires preying on, you know, you know, kind of naive, you know, teenagers might be, you know, significant for teenagers sort of sexually or otherwise sort of preying on the weak and preying on each other. Um, and, uh, and they're not necessarily applicable to, you know, a huge amount more than that. They're more meant as illustrations of kind of something that is relatable to, to teenagers. And so, I mean, I mean, the pack in this is, are these bullies who get possessed by a pack of hyenas? So we get to see how animal pack behavior is maybe not so far from human pack behavior as we would like to think. And, uh, and I mean, obviously they're magically possessed, but it's a little bit disturbingly familiar the way that they, how easily they transition from behaving like a pack of bullies to behaving like a pack of wild animals. Um, and so that's where I would start. Do you have any thoughts about that? Uh, so, so just thinking about the whole monster of the week and, and the teenage problem of the week or whatever mm-hmm. we want to call it. I, I think you're right. I think very much in these early episodes of Buffy and, and I would say pretty much throughout the whole first season and, 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 you know, going into second season without giving too much away, I think it stays pretty much on that track. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that, that you picked up on it. I mean, we've been talking about the different sort of teenage problems and, and the whole high school is hell idea um, is is spot on. So I, I think we're meant to see it that way. I think you're right. At this point, it definitely seems more allegorical in that Tolkienian sense. I mean, it's always a problem to use that term because... I would say it's more like a congruent sign than an equal sign, okay. <laughs> but it's, you know, yeah. it's, I, I don't, I don't think it's quite one-to-one. Quite as think, literal as that. I, yeah. I do think you can, can expand a little bit on that, probably fall somewhere in between, but probably I would say leans closer to that allegorical side mm-hmm. of things at, at this point that, that we're still looking high school is hell. It's sitting on the hell mouth and, and yeah, each of these things that the hyena pack is equivalent to, the the pack of bullies that you would find who wouldn't I, I I think and and if we could you know talk a little more explicitly about you know the the episode and and that idea I think you would find that individually none of these people would necessarily be scary. It's no, it's, it's the, pack. It's the it's existence mob, of a, the pack. It's a it's, mob mentality. Yeah, right. We're not talking about a bully. No, who no, has some followers. Of, We're no. talking about. You know, people who individually one on one may be perfectly fine, yeah, and and possibly even decent people. Yeah. But you know, as a pack and as um, a group here, it's 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 that pack mentality that that gets it. You know, it's that that sort of 
Um, and, and I was trying to think, actually, just as you were talking, there was an incident um, within the last year or two um, near where I live here in upstate New York where, where there was a, a bus monitor who oh, yeah. was uh-huh. viciously picked yeah. on by yeah. the kids on the bus. And it was just one of those things where, you know, you hear the story about it. and You can't and you believe hear... that people can do it. But when yeah. you're in that group, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and 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 there's this sort of takes over, and you you lose your individual discretion, I guess, and yeah. yeah, and and so, I mean, certainly it's it's something that happens, and I'm like you said, I mean, very recognizable. I'm sure yeah. everyone's been in a situation where they felt that way, and possibly been in a situation where they've acted, yeah, uh, as sure. as one of the pack. Well, um, and I I like I like the choice of hyenas. As opposed to something else. I mean, I guess there are other pack animals. I mean, they could have picked wolves. They could have picked dogs. They could have... I mean, I'm sure there are other things. But, I mean, so the hysterical laughter, which is such a trademark of the hyena and is instantly picked up by the kids as soon as they're possessed. You know, it's that bullying, but, I mean, until they start eating people, they're not... (laughs) necessarily physically physical bullies at least even that first scene that we see they're not out gang fighting they're ridiculing so they laughter is their weapon so that works with the hyena um the fact that hyenas aren't really predators they're more scavengers so there's like a cowardice to them that they really get like the left they don't go and kill the game they get right they get the, the pickings they're, the left, they're not they, picking on the big muscular football no, player. No, they're not. Yeah, <laughs> and a pack of hyenas isn't going to go take down a zebra. It's going to wait until the lions are finished, and then we're going to go yeah. pick with whatever's left. Yeah. And just like that, I mean, they they clearly don't go after Buffy, really. I mean, Xander no. go, does. We can talk about that's a whole other follow acts but as a group <laughs> as a group they i mean they say in the episode that yeah. they prey on the weak so they're who are they targeting they're targeting the weak is the insecure in high school so they're targeting lance they're targeting willow and they're targeting flutie and and the pig they're not targeting the football players they're not going after buffy they're not going after the ones who are super um either strong or or have a sense of self and confidence and identity yeah. Um, well, and and that's you know even kind of what Xander's hinting at when he's when he's like, you can let me handle this one. It's yeah. you know there's no vampires here that we need to slay. We're you know we're talking about a bunch of losers who can't really do yeah. anything uh, yeah. more than pick on people in groups. Right, right. So um, it's predatory behavior, but not like the vampires where the vampires are very strong and know that they can take down anything they want. I mean these are like the hyenas these are scavenger and and they're they're scavengers they're cowards they hide in their group and they pick off the weak member of the herd that's fallen behind mm-hmm. um and that's sort of their mode of operation so i actually think that's a really nice metaphor for like you said with you know the news with the school bus that for things that actually do happen in the world pretty regularly um, and it's a little disturbing to see how close animal behavior and people behavior can be sometimes. And yeah, it's a matter of shades. And I think, I mean, you, you know, you talk about the dark tone of this. I mean, 
Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Vampires, I mean, you know, the, the whole tone of this is that it is a horror show. Sure. You know, yeah. and, and the horror of, of some of these things and being the monster of the week and, and the problem of the week is is exactly that, that it is only a matter of shades between the way people act and 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 the doing of something actually horrible, the, mm-hmm. the eating of a person or, you know, and, and, and the escalation of that where it – you know, just one or two ratchets up and, and you get these horrible actions by people who are otherwise all talk mostly. All talk. Or... And that's such an <laughs> ironic line. They're all talk until until they start eating people. Until they're not anymore. Until right. all they can do is growl and snarl. And they become more animalistic as the episode goes on. I mean, when it yes. starts, they're really just sort of kind of aloof and cruel but they become physically i mean they start to they start to growl they start to snarl yeah. they but they're laying and they take in on a, a demeanor they're laying yeah. in a heap on the ground after they eat flutie they're sort of taking their post meal nap sort of in a heap um and <laughs> and then yeah. they're you know climbing on top of cars and ripping open cages and you know so so yeah as the as the story progresses they and and buffy says they they're getting stupider so their their human faculties, their individuality and intelligence and humanity are all disappearing and they're becoming these animals. Yeah. Which is what, you know, which is unfortunately, you know, kind of what the the pack behavior brings out in people, you know, brings out your gut animal instinct, which is often, you know, cruel and and scared and sort of, you know, the, the less noble aspects of humanity. Right. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I, and again, I would just say that that's where the horror sort of lies in all yeah. of this is, and, 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 you know, when, when you sort of realize it, it, it takes one person to just step over that line a little bit and everyone follows. Yeah. And then someone else, it doesn't have to be the same person. Someone else steps over a little bit more mm-hmm. and, and, you know, suddenly, suddenly you're, you're eating people. Um, before you, or, before you even know it, you're yeah, eating people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I think the, the, the idea of, I, I mean, we got to talk about Xander because that's, yeah. you know, he comes out, he, he almost ends up taking on the alpha male sure. yeah. persona in this pack. Which um, is interesting. I mean, I don't know. I don't quite know what to make of that because, like, okay, so tell me if I'm totally off base here. Okay. But why did Xander get possessed? I mean, so there's some sort of a ritual. The guy painted a thing on, you know, the magical symbol on the floor. I don't know. Maybe he said a piece of enchantment, whatever, and it was... Some something about the predatory behavior in the kids caused this sort of magical transference of the animal spirit into them. Just like at the end, you know, the the zookeeper needs to do an act of, you know, needs to have predatory behavior to transfer it. So he uses, you know, kind of attacking Willow as the way to draw the spirit out of the kids and into himself. So, so that predatory nature is is what is used to kind of create the possession. 
so it's interesting to me because Xander's not being predatory. He's he's protecting this other kid, Lance. So I would have thought, well, it it just got everyone in the room. It's sort of undiscriminating, and it and it transferred into the people. But then it didn't get Lance. It only got Xander. So I don't know if that's if I'm reading too much into that. It, I'm kind of troubled by Xander's behavior throughout the episode. So that is making me question why <laughs> he got why yeah. he got possessed in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, is there some sort of you know and I'm not suggesting that he was like in there with any sort of ulterior motive, but it's interesting to me that he's sort of the one that it that gets singled out. And I mean I'm thinking again about him as sort of the body of him as the one with the base desires, you know, and and the one with the least amount of self-control over his desires. And while not entirely his fault, he didn't mean to go in there, he didn't mean to get possessed, he's not trying to be, you know, a, he's not trying to be a bully himself. I, I, I just, I don't know, these, he, kind of like with the praying mantis, I feel like there's an element of, complicity there um and that the Um, fact that the fact that we kind of get so much emphasis throughout the episode on his character and behavior once he's possessed and then the fact that at the end we learn that he remembers it all Mm -hmm. i just all of that is very troubling to me so i'm not writing i'm not saying you know i hate xander or anything but like no no there's elements of i don't think this this is showing a, a not great angle on his character overall yeah no i i agree it's it's well and we didn't see him in a very good light a couple episodes when he was you know to be happening rather a lot for him when 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 he was yeah when he was mantis food yeah um and again again not not entirely he's not a he's not a villain he's not trying to make any of these things happen but it does seem to happen to him more than to buffy or willow or giles that it's not i don't i don't think it's a coincidence that it seems to be more uh of a motif with him i would agree it's not a coincidence okay um i mean i think that that you're seeing that in a way, as sort of Xander's role. And I may have some similar things to say about Rose later. Okay. <laughs> uh, as a sort of facilitator type of role uh-huh. in, in that way. Specific to this point, um, to bring it down into the specific before I generalize too much, um, I would say that it may just come down to position. So there was um, clearly some, you know, the symbol on the floor that was... Yeah you know, part of this. So yeah, unfortunate I, circumstances. I, yeah. I, I, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't honestly considered that aspect that, that Xander would perhaps wasn't deserving of being there. I just, I just always sort of took it as he was there. So he got possessed too, but you're right. Um, not everyone in the room got possessed, you know? So uh, it may just have been literally foot placement. He was inside right. the circle and, and yeah. yeah. Um, but but we we've seen that Xander does have a sort of predatory side. So, you know, I don't I don't know I don't know that we can just dismiss it as completely as to say, well, you know, he didn't deserve to be it. He's also not 
he does take on this sort of alpha male role, but then again, he's not present for the eating of Flutie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so one has to ask, had he been, would he have? You know, if, if he had been there when the others were going after Flutie, would he have participated just as much? Or would that, would that have been the event for him? You know, again, going back to the whole pack as metaphor thing, would this have been the event where, you know, it breaks out of him where he suddenly realizes, oh my gosh, His what am I about call. to do? Yeah, I, so, I don't think so. I, yeah, I, and, I didn't see one hint in the entire episode that any of them showed any inclination towards a greater self-awareness. Like, not even not yeah. even a whiff. And, and I think that's part of the horror of it, too, yeah. is to think, oh my gosh, Xander. Even Xander could that have he done... he would have, yeah. You know, would, would have participated in this. But we yeah. don't... But we don't, we don't know, know that, that he, for sure. he yeah. would have. And yeah. I think you're right. We're not led to believe, but he wasn't there and we don't know. And it's all part of a question. And, yeah. and certainly he's horrified by the thought afterwards of eating mm-hmm. the pig. Mm-hmm. But, and presumably had he participated in, in, in the Flutie feast, he would have um, been equally or, or have, hopefully he would have been more horrified by that. Yeah. Not equally. But, um, yeah, no, I, I think I think the question is there though because he wasn't a participant in that. I think the question is there, and I think I think it it you know it it is an attempt to show like even someone as likable and and sort of goofy and totally not normally alpha male material yeah. can get sucked into this not just as a participant but actually as a leader mm-hmm. and 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 become that one who is ratcheting up the. Uh, horribleness of the situation and, and, and making those, um, you you know, being the one to, to sort of uh, be the instigator here. Yeah. Um, Well, and you kind of get the sense with Xander too, that he's not sort of an outcast by his own choice. Like he's not someone who's, you know, a nerd because he doesn't care what people think. Xander's someone who, if he could be kind of in the pack, he kind of would be, I think if he had the chance at least at this point. I mean, maybe he matures down the road. But at this point, I see someone who's fairly shallow. And, you know, not entirely. Like, I think he really does care about his friends. I don't think he's completely superficial. But I think he is immature and insecure enough that, given the, the opportunity, he he could potentially... I mean, we saw him fantasizing about being the rock god up on stage. And, yep. you know, that... He he's not too cool for that. He would take it if it was offered to him. Yeah. So there's an element of it's only because he's his goofiness keeps him from, you know, being in the pack that he kind of would really like to be. I mean, maybe he doesn't want to be a bully, but I think he wants to be cool. I think he wants to be popular and accepted and everything. So, yeah. you know. Well, and I, yeah, no, I think that's right. And I think that's... I think in the way, in that sort of way, Xander is sort of the everyman, you know, mm-hmm. aspect here. Yeah. He, he is like most people, you know, if, if, if most people had the chance to get up on stage and, and be the one that everyone was cheering on and be popular and, and, you know, have lots of friends and have lots of money and people who genuinely like them, yeah, they would take it. And I think that's, 
in a lot of these situations, again, going back to the kids who were picking on the bus monitor, most of them weren't thinking about her feelings or whatever. They, they were thinking about, oh, if I do this, everyone's going to laugh. Yeah. And everyone's going to like me because I'm doing something funny and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Like, that's that's the motive for this type of, of pack mentality. It's it's the hyenas getting the other yeah. hyenas to laugh. And, yeah. and so... Um, but I contrast think, that to someone like Buffy, who is cool to a certain... I mean, she's not as goofy as, as Xander is. She's not kind of as wallflower-ish as, as Willow is. She seems a little bit more... Um, she seems more like the, like the cool girl. But, I mean, she could hang out with Cordelia if she wanted. She um, had the opportunity. She had the opportunity and she gave it up. So she's someone who does have more of a sense of identity and is able to make the choice and to make the you know the compassionate and smart choice you know to hang out with nice people who are actually good friends and you know and can have an actual strong bond with so um so i think they're kind of set up as a little bit of contrast to each other like yeah, you know if, if, if xander yeah. if if Cordelia offered to hang out with Xander. I he'd be all over it. That I think you're right. Um, yeah. So, and and it is Which interesting. Is okay. He's 16. Giles reminds us that you have <laughs> yeah. to. You, Giles reminds us to be forgiving <laughs> and to remember that you know 16 year old boys are morons, right? And yeah. yeah, this is, he is completely nonplussed by this at first. Like, oh, yeah. dear God, he's teasing people. Oh, no, he's turned into a teenager. Like, yeah. what is the big deal? They're all like that, and they'll grow yeah. out of it. Yeah. And and, and so your, your, your mention there of Xander and Cordelia, I, I was thinking back to Jesse, who, yeah. you know, again, you know, in that first episode where, you know, again, we don't see him <laughs> beyond the second episode anyway. Yeah. But he is... He is sort of what Xander might become. You know what I mean? Like, like, like the whole this witness me prowling. You know, uh-huh. this is this is me trying to be a prowler. This is right. me trying and, to take and advantage. And we did wonder at the and, time how much of that was in Jesse to begin with before he even. I mean, it's more like it took what was sort of latent and buried and and controlled and unleashed it which is basically what happened with Xander in this episode yeah and 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 that's you know maybe an indication as to why they were such good friends <laughs> you know what I mean because <laughs> yeah. you, you know I I think there is I think we're meant to draw On a similar emotional wavelength yeah yeah I mean and and like you said I mean Giles makes a comment he's 16 year old boys this is just and that's that's a a, a stunningly astute uh sort of observation that gets made about things in this situation kids will be kids boys will be boys you know uh and and unfortunately that's that's sort of how this sort of behavior tends to get written off but Mm it you know okay in this in this case you know people are literally possessed but those those four were not they were acting with this pack mentality before, before they yeah. ever got uh-huh. possessed. And, and it, it amplified and, and made things worse, certainly. But, but I think we're meant to see that this is not unnatural behavior, per se. It's, yeah. it's, 
Right. It's an amplification all of too, what's already going on. Yeah, all too natural. Yeah. Um and all too common. Yeah. Um and you almost get the sense and, and again I think this supports sort of your allegorical reeling reading or at least more leaning towards an allegorical reading of it almost could be any four people, you know, in any, in, in, in a situation. I mean, it, you know, again, there's, I don't think that like those particular four are the ones that we see, but there are certainly other groups like that in the school. Mm-hmm. And, right. and perhaps everyone at some point is part of one of those groups. Right. Um, and, and, yeah, I don't, I don't, um, I don't think that we're meant to limit it, <laughs> yeah. per se. I think it can definitely be applied across the board. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, they kind of make a joke about it, like, who are those kids? Oh, they're the mean kids. Every, every school comes with a desk, like, here's your desk, here's your blackboard, and here's your mean kids. Like, yeah. it's like the obligatory, but, yeah, I mean, obviously, like, I mean, we've already seen kind of, you know, sort of bullying behavior from other characters in the school already. So, you know, it happened to be this group, but mm-hmm. but not limited to them for sure. No. Well, yeah, I mean, we've seen Cordelia and mm-hmm. the way she treats Willow and, and others, but particularly Willow mm-hmm. and, and in that first couple episodes at, anyway, too. But, um, you know, she and she and her friends certainly are are very... Uh, similar in sort of the ways they act, although they're, they seem to, Cordelia seems less about the doing it for fun and more about the just speaking her mind, which just happens to be a mean sort of sentiment, (laughs) you know, um, she just happens to think mean thoughts and then says them versus in, in this instance, we at least get the sense that they're trying to be funny. They're trying to be yeah. funny, funny insofar as to amuse themselves, yeah. you know, at the expense of others, not in the, this is just what I happen to think about you sort of way. Yeah. Um, right. Right. That they're not as aloof as Cordelia, that they're seeking out like who are the ones, you know, the, who are the weak members of the yeah. pack that we can sort right. of prey yeah. on. Like you said, they're targeting the the stragglers, so to yeah. Speak. Um. So yeah, Xander does not come off good in this episode. And, <laughs> not looking and, good, and very interesting that he remembers it all and that he lies about it, and that Giles covers up the lie. Which you yeah. know could be. I could see one of two. I mean, it could just be. You know, Giles. I, he's got his back. It's a guy thing. He doesn't want to. You know. He doesn't want him to be... Uh, interesting, I thought, another parallel with Doctor Who, just like we have the Doctor covering up for Mickey's lie um, yep, to yep. save face I was in front the of the girl. Thing. Again, yep. we have an older man covering up the embarrassment for the younger man in front of the girl that he sort of fancies. So, um, yep. yeah, another cool parallel. But um, So I thought it could just be that. It could just be Giles's understanding that oh, this is embarrassing they don't need to know it i'll just sort of it you know it's between us guys and i've i've i'm gonna cover it um but then i don't know i it, it could there could be another i mean is giles sort of filing that under a need to know basis and and gonna remember that later is there some aspect of it that he's not wanting to 
you know, make clear to the group. I Potentially, I'll stick that in the back of my mind as something that could be significant later, but I'm not really sure or, you know, I don't know yeah, if you have any, I mean, if you can debunk that theory or. I, I tend to take it just as, I mean, obviously Xander doesn't want to be embarrassed and, and I think Giles understands that Xander, like it, you know, it's one of those things like you've learned your lesson. Yeah. You know, you, sure. yeah. you, you know, you, 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 <laughs> you've suffered nothing, enough, yeah. nothing else that I can say or do will make it sink in any more than it's already yeah. sunk in. Yeah. Um, now it's just about damage the, control. The fact, yeah. yeah. The fact of his remembering. And I think this is where the redeeming ness of Xander's character comes in. Um, the re- redeeming quality, I suppose, redeeming ness. Um, <laughs> he, he is genuinely upset about what happened. Yeah. Um, and, and, and yes, he did it and he's not trying to make excuses, although he has a pretty good one that he was possessed. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, wow, I did that. I, that sucks. And I'm embarrassed about it. But, but he also knows, I mean, if he remembers the pig, he also remembers what happened between him and Buffy which yes. Buffy also, and they're keeping from each other the fact that, because he says to her, did I say anything else? And she says no, so she's lying. And then clearly he knows and is pretending not to know, so he's lying. So both of them know <laughs> there's this unspoken... I know, you know that I know. It's that episode of Friends with you know yes. that I know that you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the messers that... become the messies, and we're all going to like... You know, now I'm sure it's at some point, it, this is a crucial piece of information in their relationship that this thing has happened that both of them are fully aware of and both have decided not to address it. So how long that will remain unspoken before it forces its way back up to the surface, you know, we'll see. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's like, well, you know, it's it's almost the equivalent of like, the drunken confession of love, you yeah. know, except right. how, this is much more horrible. And how and, much of a confession is it really? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he's under an influence here. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, that's not, that doesn't mean it's wrong sure. or that, or that, I mean, the way he well, says and Buffy, it and talks about it is wrong, but it doesn't mean that, that it's inaccurate. In, well, in, and we're ahead so of Buffy. How in, he feels. Yeah, I mean, we're ahead of Buffy, and we've seen his fantasies. We've seen him say things like right. this before. So we know this isn't totally based on nothing, that there's some sort of... Whereas Buffy doesn't necessarily. She's been pretty oblivious up to this point. So for her, it could just, just think, be the, the drunken confession of, you know what? Right. Don't worry about it. You weren't in right. your right mind. I'm just going to let it go. Right. Yeah. And that could be what she's thinking of. When it she decides be... to let it go. Yeah. Right. Right. And and it could be that, um, you know, he's my friend. I don't want to, you know, similar to yeah. what I suspect Giles may be thinking is that, you know, I don't want to embarrass him any more than, yeah. than he prob- possibly already is. Or, I mean, she, because she, she doesn't, doesn't want to hurt him. She, and, she doesn't yeah. know that he remembers any no. of it. Of course. No, so, she's trying to save him. So from, she, yeah, yeah, she's trying to do. Uh, yeah, she's trying to save his face for him, yeah. and 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 perhaps in a way her own too, because yeah. I mean she she 
doesn't let him off easily in that situation. Mm-hmm. Like she's, you know, yeah, she, she gives it right back to him and, and maybe she sees that as possibility of, of straining their relationship more the, the way that she reacted to him. Yeah. Uh, well, and that, and and, that, and, 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 hit, and, and not saying that she was inappropriate in the way that she reacted to yeah. him either, but, 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 but just, just that maybe she's seeing it as a, let it go. We're friends. Everything's fine again. Well, and it wasn't just like a little declaration of a crush either. I mean, it was a no. pretty intense physical assault. So, right. I mean, there's an element of like, let's not even go there. Cause that could be a relationship killer just in the whole what he was clearly planning to do, you know? Yeah. You know, so it's not just saving you from embarrassment, but it's from like, it's like, this could literally wreck the whole relationship if both of us were to really, you know, acknowledge it. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty disturbing stuff. It is. And, and it's, I think it's disturbing too because at that point Xander's not acting as part of a pack. Right. Well, I mean, and this is this is the. I was going to say this earlier. You said you know okay he would he he didn't eat Flutie would he have there's that whole conundrum but why wasn't he there to eat Flutie because he's out attacking yeah. Buffy which is like okay now I guess all's well that ends well but that's not really any better <laughs> like it wasn't like. He wasn't eating Flutie because he was out doing something nice. I mean, he's doing something pretty much... I mean, if he had gone through with it, something equally horrific. So, like, you know, I mean, he's off violating somebody just like they're violating somebody. So, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't for lack of trying that he didn't end up, like, going, crossing that line. No, no, you're right. And, and... Yeah, yeah, and again, it's 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 all his own. It's it, it's all him, and pursuing his own interest here. It's right. it's not this. We can't blame. I mean, right, he's under a spell, but we can't blame. Yeah. We we can't blame the pack for yeah. his, you know, lone wolf action, lone hyena action, yeah, or whatever it is. Um, and like just the whole kind of notes of like aggression and everything. We're just like really. You know, again, they're just really disturbing. Like, you know, that he, um, that her fear makes her smell good. He he says, "Is this isn't this what you want?" Like he he like he's trying to be like Angel. He wants to be mean and mysterious like Angel. And and this is what this is what people do to justify these kinds of violent actions. Is they convince themselves that she asked for it. Yeah. And she wanted it. She right. wanted it. Did you see the way she looked at me? Exactly. Did you see what she was wearing? And that yeah. is the justification for something that, which is really, I've heard this said about like rape and sexual assault, that it's really more about violence than it is about, it's not about, you and know, dominance. Yeah. It's but, about violence yeah. and dominance. It's not about love yeah. or sex or romance. It's about me asserting my power over you. And how I justify that to myself is by saying that, you wanted it all along, you know? And, I mean, he's saying, like, you clearly are attracted to Angel. That's the kind of guy you like. Well, here you are, you know. Now, I'm I'm mean, and I'm aloof and sort of cut off emotionally. And isn't that better? And you really want it all along. So, 
it becomes this sort of self-fulfilling, you know, that it does, the more she resists, the more attracted he is and really creepy stuff. Well, and, and it's, and that's the, the difference, I guess, between the, the sort of the, the brooding loner, whatever (laughs) mysterious guy that angel is and and the concept that people who aren't like that have of the quote bad missing the point entirely yeah it's it's not the actions that xander thinks yeah she's attracted to it's it's i mean the fact of the matter is angel hasn't acted in any of the ways that xander is acting yeah he's under a delusion that, that that he's being like angel when he's like this yeah and so yeah, no, it, I, I think I'm, that's spot on. It's, it's, it's really, it's really a disturbing part. Perhaps the most disturbing scene we've seen. Yeah, in, yeah, in, that, in that, and eating Flutie's the face show, off. This, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean that's, but that's hinted at. I guess. You know what I mean? Like. Huh. Oh man, I did not see that coming. I was kind of like, wait a minute, I couldn't. Did that really just happen? I was. Oh man. Yeah. Nasty. Um and yeah. Yeah. And and that, you know, and I mean, he he does it in a different way to Willow, you know, that, I mean, I kind of feel like, I like Willow a lot. I think she is insecure, but I think she's more self-aware and self-confident, you know, than Xander is. Um, she's smart. About she, certain things. About certain things. She's not, she's sort of a midpoint between Buffy and Xander. Um, but, I mean, she totally fools Xander, you know, in thinking that he's luring her closer when really she's luring him closer just so that she can see if he's going to make a go for the keys. So I think she's, um, I really do think she's smart and, you know, and I like her a lot, but I, she's pretty whipped by Xander and he can be a little bit cruel to her and sort of get away with it. And, you know, at the end when he kind of says, nobody messes with my willow, I've kind of thought the unfinished sent the unfinished portion of that sentence in brackets is except for me that yeah. she's my you know that I can't get what I want so she wants me and I'm going to sort of have her here as my girl she's who adores me yeah yeah and yeah, yeah. so he knows that he can abuse her and she'll take it and she won't complain and nobody else is allowed to mess with her as long as he is so you know, so that's a little bit uh, unflattering as well. Yeah, no, you're right. It's it's definitely. I mean, she he knows that she's not going to go anywhere else, and yeah. she doesn't. And 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 that's you're right. He totally takes advantage of that. And I mean, I I don't know if he realizes that he's taking advantage of that. No. That's not an excuse. Yeah, I don't or, or, think he or, necessarily does. Yeah, I mean, I, I just... No, it's not malicious, but it's insensitive and sort of short-sighted. Yeah. I think, um, and, and to what you said about um, Xander or uh, Willow being sort of between Xander and Buffy is, yeah, I think that's interesting. I think Willow, you know, Buffy sort of has... She, Buffy's pretty much comfortable, whatever. She knows she's strong and, and smart enough. You know, she may not always want to do the book reading or whatever, but she's intelligent. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, pointing out like we did before, 
again, it's Buffy who is the one who figures out what's going on. She's mm-hmm. the one who puts together, oh, it was the hyena cave, and, and yeah. this is why um, Xander's acting the way he does. And, and, and she's been the one all along. She, she's the one sort of connecting the different worlds and, and putting, putting the, the different ideas together. So, I mean, yeah, Buffy is intelligent. Enough, at least, you know, she may not have all the book learning always, but when she when she gets the knowledge, she puts things together and whatever. She's strong. She's has enough personality. Willow is very confident in her very limited yeah. <laughs> place of, in her sphere of, of, of yeah, yeah, what she's yeah, capable of. Com- of yeah. in, in her comfort zone, she's comfortable. She's yeah. yeah, she but it's a very small comfort zone. Sure, and yeah. outside of that, um, you know, she she just sort of flounders. But I think the difference between her and Xander at this point is that she at least has a comfort zone. Yeah. Xander, no matter what situation he's in, he it's never really. He, yeah, yeah, he is just constantly, he's tense. He doesn't quite know what to do with himself or with others or, or you know, how to relate to, to the various situations that come up. I mean, I do think he has, you know, going to your soul triptych, I think he does have the heart. I think he he is sort of that, or no, he's the body. Sorry, Buffy's the heart. But now I'm getting all confused. I, th- I think he, I think he does have the desire to do good things. Yes. <laughs> he doesn't know how to do that or even what his role is right. at this point. And, and I think that's where a lot of his... Well, Um, and I think that's part of, you know, if, you know, if I'm defending that as my sort of thesis, I think that's part of it too, that he, he's, he goes based on impulse. So when the impulses are, he has good impulses, like he's, he's good natured, he wants to do good things and he goes with it and then, and then sometimes. By going into the cave to protect someone who's not really even his friend. No, no, but he is a creature of the moment and of what do I want to do right now? And so when his impulses are good, which they are most of the time, he follows them. But by the same token, he follows his impulses. So when he has a negative impulse, he's not being too discriminating about which impulses that he follows. Yeah. Oh man. Are we Um, out of time? Yeah. We're, we're, we went over a bit. We're way out. Um, All right. So, well, all right. I mean, there's so much more to talk about. I know. But I, I think I, I, I want to bring up though. Definitely, before we go on, we don't have to talk about it very long. But so, yes, they ate the principal, Flutie, <laughs> and and as you right, noted, and this is the first. Yeah, this is the first, not main character, but repeat character that we've seen over a number of episodes that we've seen and, come to a bad end. Yeah, and and that we've kind of gotten to know a bit. I mean, yeah. Jesse dies, but he dies in the second episode. Yeah, we, we don't we don't really get. Yeah, a it doesn't count if you're fully. killed off in the pilot. Right. Um. So the, yeah, I, and I think we just want to say that. I mean, he he was not. I mean, he he was a genuine guy. Sure. He was not always. We want to have a little as, memorial service for Flutie. Yeah, he, he I mean he wasn't always with it as far as like knowing really what the people in his school were doing or or you know even able to relate completely, but he he I think 
were meant to see him as someone who was well-meaning and yeah. who was um, at least trying. Yeah. If even if he wasn't always or even often <laughs> in, uh, uh, very effective. Yeah. But he was at least trying. He was at least pretty genuine and and seemed to at least like the kids who or, or at least want to see well you know see them come out well uh anyway i i just wanted to bring that up yeah because because we can't i mean it's sort of a momentous moment yeah. like you said uh the first person we've gotten to sort of get to know a bit who is now dead yes and now we need to move on rest in peace principal flutie yeah um and and we move on to dalek all right oh so dalek wow um, you know, I don't even know. So I guess I'll begin with this is that the word Dalek uh -huh. is one of the first, one of the few things that I knew, like other than TARDIS, um, and sort of the image of the TARDIS, uh, coming into Doctor Who, Daleks are one of the few things that I had heard about before. I knew that they were evil alien type enemy creatures, but... Uh, you know, beyond that and, and beyond having like seen a random picture here or there on the internet. Uh, I didn't really know much about them, just that, that they had, uh, they weren't too fondly uh, in tune with the doctor there. So I guess, I guess I learned a little more about why that is the case. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm just going to jump in and start talking about the Daleks because I mean, that's, obviously the name of the episode and, and what they're all here for. Um, I found it. Well, I mean, so you, you, you get the whole sort of in the beginning, you get the, uh, the, the sort of the, uh, uh, repeated warnings about the Daleks. Oh, you know, don't the last guy who touched it burst into flames and, you know, like these sorts of, of things. And then, um, when the doctor first sees the Dalek and realizes what it is, I mean, he's, he just like almost goes nuts. Yeah. <laughs> like he's like, Oh my God, this can't be happening. Definitely you know, first... a new level of fear from what we've yeah. seen of him so far. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I was trying to think, have we seen any fear really from right. him? Like, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe not. It, like I, I'm, I was trying to think like, yeah, you know, not, going way not back really. to the first episode, the yeah. nesting consciousness. He wasn't really afraid of it. He was, no. you know, kind of going in, and then like almost then, when they're about to push him in, but but yeah, yeah, but no, but nothing real. Bet, yeah, yeah. I, I so anyway, I was trying to think think of all that, you know, with all the Slovenes and stuff. He he was sort of just having a good time <laughs> with them. I mean, like he he was more worried about Rose than himself in that instance, but yeah. with the Dalek. He he was genuinely afraid, yeah. and and that was interesting to me just just because that's the first time I'd seen that in yeah. him. Um, but then also, of course, through the very obvious parallels uh, between the two of them, once you you come to find out that this Dalek is the last one, mm -hmm. just like the the Doctor is the last of the Time Lords, mm -hmm. which we already knew from a few episodes ago. But I mean. I, it's it's right there put in front of your face i mean you can't miss you know they say it we you know the dalek says it we're the same and then yeah. the doctor even agrees with them well maybe yeah. we are the same and 
And to me, that was just such a, a strong um, comparison because I, I mean, you, you expected the doctor to say, no, no, we're not the same. I'm different yeah. from you. And then like almost immediately he's like, no, you know what? You're right. I know exactly what you need. And it's exactly what you just said I need. And it's to be exterminated. Yeah. But then I found it interesting. So you, you get, okay. So they're both alone uh-huh. and you get, you get these repeated, um, allusions to aloneness in in the episode so you know the two of them are each alone and that's right there out in their face but then you also have sort of the the broader um situation here of being in van staten's underground bunker level 53 that they were found in um and so so you have you have this guy who's basically secluded himself from the entire human race Mm -hmm. in this underground bunker, collecting things that nobody else knows about. Um, and the whole, like he owns the internet and stuff. I mean, that Mm -hmm. was, you know, whatever. Um, and, and as a character, I found Van Staten kind of cookie cutter, but, but I did find interesting just the fact that, that you have, again, this sort of repeated aloneness, but he's, his is self-imposed his Mm -hmm. seclusion. He's, he wants to be better than everybody else. All every other human, because you know clearly he doesn't really know anybody else. Um, even though he has dead pieces of alien technology and aliens themselves, um, and so he's trying, like he's he's trying to get there. And you get you you get this idea that he's trying to separate himself from humanity in a way that puts him above humanity. By doing, but of course he's going underground to do it, and 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 the doctor's whole like rebuke of him, oh, you know, you're you're trying to pull the stars down and mm-hmm. bring them underground and bury them and stand and and all this stuff, like that's that's pretty apt because it's you know by the very act of trying to seclude himself and and put himself above humanity, Van Staten's actually sort of showing that he's really worse than everyone else and, and lower than yeah yeah yeah. So um, some interesting sort of metaphorical stuff there. But then on top of that, <laughs> or in addition to all of that, you get Adam, uh-huh. who, as you pointed out to me, was um, – and, and of course I knew this, but it didn't sort of resonate uh, until you said it um, – that he's the lone Englishman mm-hmm. among all of these Americans. Um, so there's that aspect to it. His name is Adam, the first man um, right, sort right. of aspect to it. So So you get, again, you know, he's – He's um, separated out in in that sort of way too, but he's also you know he's also extremely intelligent, and and he has this uh, lab that or or workroom or whatever you want to call it that he goes to, and and he even says you know Van Staten lets me just sort of do what I want. So within the seclusion, he's even secluded from like everybody else. Yeah. Like he's he's like extra secluded. Yeah. Um. And and so uh, I just I just found that very interesting. Sort of just randomly, and and this is not um, necessarily pertinent, except for the fact that it just happened to be at the same time as I was watching this episode. Um, I was in the middle of reading uh, Brave New World by Uh Aldous Huxley. And and there's a whole um, scene in there where, um, so, you know, the civilization with civilization with all these, you know, strata of 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 people um based on how they were genetically engineered to be uh born there um one of them 
Bernard goes off um, with his friend to the land of the savages and they meet this savage named John. And, and there's this moment um, in chapter eight where, where they're sitting there talking and kind of getting to know each other. And, and they both have this incredible discussion about being alone and how they're so much alike. And, and like the, it's this aloneness that brings them together and, and the isolation that each of them feels in their, their, um, you know, respective societies that, that, that makes them sort of draw to e- to each other a little bit more, but but even that like doesn't quite feel right. So anyway, so there were like these all these parallels, and I was just thinking about sort of the idea in science fiction history that I mean, this is just such a repetitive theme over and over again that there are these things that that people try to do to sort of better themselves or better humanity or or whatever. But a lot of it just so often comes down to just trying to to find um, trying to 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 find a way out of this seclusion and mm-hmm. out of this aloneness. I mean, going right back to I I think that Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is is very much about that. I mean, there's there's repeated themes all over there about the monster and how alone he is and 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 you know trying to to overcome this and 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 I think it just you know, the seclusion of, of all these different characters throughout, you know, you get Captain Nemo and, and 20,000 leaves under the sea, you know, is another, you know, yeah. situation there, you know, uh, and, and, and there's just, I think it gets repeated throughout, throughout. So I just, I just found this, this idea of the aloneness and the seclusion and, and the isolation, um, and the repeated themes here, very, very interesting. And, and that it was happening on, you know, all these sorts of different levels. I mean, you're kind of getting hit with it over and over yeah. again. Yeah. Um, and then what to do with that? Right. <laughs> like, like once you notice it. Right. Okay. So. So. Well. Yes. So. I mean, kind of what I was thinking was, um, you know, like you said, like the Van Staten, a little bit of a one dimensional villain, not anyone hugely interesting or important on his own. The Daleks as, you know, as sort of a race are sort of significant, but this particular Dalek isn't, I mean, I don't even think it has a name really. It's just one of the Daleks. So, so the characters aren't warrior, whatever. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, all of these parallels between the doctor and these other characters, it's not so much about, you know, how, I mean, we keep getting emphasized how he's like all of these others, but I think more, I mean, the takeaway is kind of, okay, what does that teach us about the doctor? So by Mm. showing how he's similar or dissimilar to Ben Staten or the Dalek or Adam, you know, every, every episode is, what are we learning about the doctor and Rose? Really? It's kind of, I mean, and, and there's other things going, I mean, there are bigger, there's sometimes bigger mythological things. There's larger thematic things. There's sometimes the episodes are interesting just as a standalone and whatever they're, whatever themes or ideas they're exploring. But as the season progresses, I think the main thrust of, kind of like with Buffy, like, okay, Monster of the Week, very interesting, but on a, on a, on a higher scale, it's what are we learning about Buffy and the rest? Same thing with Doctor Who is, I think, the takeaway is, you know, what 
aspects of the doctor that we haven't seen before are being brought to the surface and a lot of new stuff is brought to the surface. I mean, I mean, you absolutely said, you know, that that scene with him in the, the fear and the anger emphasized in that scene with him locked in the room is unlike anything we've seen so far. Um, mm -hmm. And I just have to note, because we haven't talked too much about the acting, I do want to mention Christopher Eccleston, um, because, you know, I think, I mean, we talked in the first episode that what first jumped out to you was the goofiness. So I think we've proven that he can do humor and that that can be a strong element of his character. And there's um, even a few moments in this one. Yeah. Not many, no, but even a few. No, where, talented, where talented comedic actor, but... Scenes like the one where he is in the room with the Dalek. That's why you cast Christopher Eccleston. That's, I mean, when they, I think when they're thinking, who are we going to cast? He was a little bit of a stunt piece of casting, that this is not someone who jumped to everyone's minds. That when it was announced that we have Christopher Eccleston, everyone's like, really? But he's someone who brings legitimacy and gravitas and, you know, pathos and and you know kind of these serious heavy qualities and i think he was attracted to trying to do something he hadn't done before so wanting to do the lighter and comedic aspects but his sort of bread and butter as an actor is scenes like this um and that's really what he sort of uh excels at and i think that scene is just so you know fantastic to use a doctor to use his word <laughs> Um, yeah. he really, really gets that whole PTSD, traumatized, yeah. scared, both scared and just, you know, insanely, you know, angry and rageful at the same time. Um, so I just kind of wanted to touch, you know, cause we hadn't really touched too much on him before. I wanted. I thought this was a good opportunity to sort of. I think this is a great episode for highlighting those aspects of the Doctor, and that's an aspect that he really plays really well. Um, yeah. Well, and and of course he has every reason to be yeah. <laughs> angry going no, into the and, character. and we did I mean, say it's... this: angry and and vicious, but he's, but he's not totally unsympathetic. You can. You can understand why he is, even when... And, I mean, I feel like the same thing as about Xander. We're getting some pretty nasty sides to the character in this. Now, you can understand where he's coming from. He's not totally unjustified. And you understand that it's, you know, born out of trauma and fear and all these other things. But at the same time, I mean, this is someone we've seen pre pretty strictly altruistic up to this point, that... He sort of bops around saving people. He, you know, risks having... He lets the Gelf come across to help them find a new planet when it's a little bit of a risk for humanity. You know, and now he puts a stop to it once he realizes what's going on. But he's someone who is, by default, wanting to help people and be... He may be oblivious to particular people at times, but I think in yeah. general, he's someone who is thinking of other people and trying to do the right thing by them and be selfless and be heroic. So, you know, 
a little interesting that faced with this one Dalek, which is incapable of doing anything to him and chained to the wall and completely helpless, he that's when he decides, no, you know what, I'm like you, and this is what you deserve, and he starts torturing him, and we presumably he would have killed him if he'd been allowed to. So yeah, well, and it so it it immediately becomes personal. Yeah. Whereas the only the only hint of of him having personal feelings yeah. for anyone or anything is is with Rose, and that's I mean that's really only within the last couple episodes. Like you know, even in the first few episodes, it you know it's like okay, it's you know obviously he stops. And and brings her along with him and whatever, yeah. but it you know it's really only in the last episode or two where where we've seen that start to come out the, yeah. the personal relationship there. But this is slam in your face immediately, you know, going from oh yep you just caught me in a bad signal and now I'm here to yeah. holy crap oh, yeah this thing this is real this not only is it real but it's personal it's right up in my grill and yeah. and. You know, um, well, and that it doesn't even matter whether he has ever met this Dalek before. That right. It's well, that's what them. Uh, there's yes. no difference. They are the enemy and they're to be exterminated, you know. Well, and that's so and that's what I was going to ask, because uh, and I don't know enough about the history of Daleks, obviously, but um, you, you, you mentioned that this one doesn't even have a name. So I'm presuming there are ones who do have names um, at some point in the no, history. No, I think. Uh, well, file that away to come back to later. I think okay. in the history <laughs> of the show, no, they don't. Okay. Um, All right. Yeah. And, 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 and we're meant, it's, it's interesting because we're, you know, the, there's the, near the, um, oh, what, what is, so when they're like, you've got all the private security guys there, um, firing in the hallway, mm-hmm. uh, at the Dalek as it's sort of vaporizing them all or whatever and and the uh van staten's yelling no no you know don't i don't want there to be any scratches on it uh these people are indispensable Mm -hmm. which of course you know we're like they're people no they're not indispensable and and of course you know everyone except van staten you know is like no that's that shouldn't be the case yeah but we get the idea that the dalek is pretty much uh dispensable I'm sorry, I said indispensable. They're dispensable. And 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 but the Dalek seems to truly be dispensable and he's the only one Van Staten is the only one who like sees the Dalek as unique as yeah. you know whatever, but he's just, you know, the Dalek's just some, um, you know, warrior Dalek who's waiting for orders. Like it's right. not, you know, it, he's a grunt, he's a red shirt. He's not Yeah. yeah. He's no not individuality. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're not meant to take him as as an individual person. Yeah. And and and, and of, he which would of probably course, be offended if you did. Yeah. Yeah. But of, you know, which of course by the end of the episode, I mean, we we are meant to take this particular Dalek as something that's different from all the rest. Right. Um, because, because of the person who ties them all together, the instigator, the, what I was saying earlier about Xander and, and how I, uh, I, I think I might have some more to say about Rose. Yeah. She, as the companion, it seems. And, and, and I mean, I, I know we're not that far into it, but there seems yeah. to be a recurring role here for her mm-hmm. as as again, I, maybe instigator isn't the right word. Facilitator or or um, link between yeah. 
between these different people. She she's the empath almost literally in yeah. this episode um because it's her empathy that that is what rejuvenates the Dalek and mm-hmm. into killing all of the people right. but also into becoming something more that's human. That's not completely hate. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean it turns out that that's the most detestable thing and so that sort of for the Dalek is a negative result. But from our point of view, we see that as the ability to feel and, you know, the ability to have emotion and compassion and feeling is a good thing. So that seems to be, I mean, I would say if I was going to give it like a noun, I would say that Rose is the humanizer that she humanizes those around her, you know, that, so, I mean, she does it quite literally for because she touches it and her DNA, her DNA gets, you know, mixed in with the Daleks and, and it has human feelings that it didn't have before. But yeah, more metaphorically, I think that's what she's doing with the doctor. I mean, she's the one kind of reminding him, you know, kind of pulling him back from being like the Dalek and saying, what is the point of this revenge you know, you're the one with the gun. You're yeah. the one who's changing for the worse. You know. Well, and that's such a poignant, uh, you know, moment there between you know the doctors trying to convince her how evil and yeah, you know, I... and maybe rightly so. But that doesn't. But I think it, yeah. it's so complicated that it's you know, is the Dalek evil and has it done evil things? Yeah, but. But he's changing. But he's but that doesn't make his actions good. The doctor's actions good. No, and his right. and his impulse, you know, and I kind of thought, you know, he has this line where he says to the Dalek, let me see if I can find it, that um he says he's trying to convince it to kill himself. He says, There's there's no point, it's all gone, everything you stood for, just kill yourself. Why don't you just die? That's kind of true for him, too. You know, another way in which that, you know, and I'm not saying that, oh, there's yeah. no point the doctor could should just kill himself. But, you know, what is the point? The time war's over. It's all gone. Everything he stood for. What is the point? And so I think he needs Rose to make him see what the point is and make him see that the endless revenge cycle isn't the best way, you know, Deserving though the Dalek may be, that you should be more concerned about what you're changing into than what the Dalek's doing. Yeah. So, and and there's, yeah, I, and again, I, I'm I'm at a handicap because I don't know much about the Daleks uh-huh. um, either before or after this. But um, if there is an after, I mean, he's the last one, right? Right. <laughs> okay. Um, so, the the description we get from the doctor is that is that uh, it's pure evil. It was genetically engineered to uh-huh. remove all emotions except evil. But then, of course, we get a Dalek who ends up having some emotions, and and so I was intrigued. You know, there's the question where he asks Rose if she's afraid, and and initially she's not, and then she becomes afraid. And, and then he says at the end, um, 
he's glad that before he died, he met a human who was not afraid. Or, or, or does does he say that when he's still trapped? Or, or yeah, I don't remember. That, that was end? a that was a strange line um, to me too. And 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 so I yeah I wasn't sure about that. Like the whole I was glad yeah. blah blah blah. But um, and and what exactly that, does that imply? Does that imply that he doesn't like being feared? Or I, I'm not well, quite sure what we're supposed to take away from that. Yeah, and and that's what like I wasn't sure. Like I'm pretty sure that's after Rose touches him, but now I can't remember exactly yeah, at what point sure. that happens. So, so yeah, um, I, it probably is. But it's he 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 starts having these other emotions too. So we get sort of the survivor's guilt uh-huh. that he has. Like, why am I the last one? Why am my function is to kill? If, yeah. If you know. Why am I the only one who's left to kill everything and destroy and and all of that? And then he shows this desire for freedom, uh-huh. which you're not quite sure what that means. Like he has desire of freedom, but but he still wants people to order him around. Like right, yeah. And it and it's kind of funny, like that whole like circular, you know, you must order me to die. Obey, obey, order yeah. me to die. Obey, you know, like, obey me. Yeah, by I'm ordering, ordering you me. to order me yeah. to die. Yeah, yeah. like it, it's this. <laughs> weird circular reasoning yeah. that that just can't quite get through but but you know i think that the, the biggest one there is is right at the end he 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 says he wants freedom and it seems like that's the part that he can't handle because he says this is not life this is sickness it's you know he says he he feels darkness but he wants order like he, he wants someone to tell him what to do yeah and not and and having that freedom having he i mean there's several suggestions both at least the doctor and rose both suggest like you can do anything now why are you continuing to kill people and destroy yeah. because that's the last thing or or the the most pressing desire that he has yeah and and i think i mean this is obviously again just going out based on this episode that seems to me sort of the horror of the dalek if if in buffy we had the horror of people you know kind of like doing these things together and, and sort of ratcheting up the Dalek is the psychopath. Yeah. It, it's the, it is the lone individual who I, or at least in this case, it's the lone individual who has the only reason that he is around is to destroy things and, and for no reason. Yeah. Like his reason is to destroy things for no reason. So yeah. it's, it's like, that's, that's the aspect of it that, it seems that and, and therefore fears. you can't reason with it. Yeah. Which, you and, know, the doctor, you know, is, you know, good at running around, good with the screwdriver. He's smart. He can, te- he's, you know, technically. He's okay with the screwdriver. He's okay. With, well, the screwdriver is okay, but he's technically <laughs> proficient. Okay. Um, and, but more than anything, you know, the doctor's, you know, ability his, his what he really relies on is his ability to talk and his ability mm. to sort of reason and talk other people into seeing reason or talk his way out of situations and that's sort of his you know sort of real superhero ability you know um as much as any you know technical know-how or or alien right intelligence or anything so i mean maybe that's the source of the kind of debilitating fear is like 
that the Daleks are something that that is a completely useless weapon. That these are the only way to stop them is to physically like destroy them because right. they're come and they kind of talked about in the commentary like the whole design of them is this little tank. So you know the way they just sort of motor along down the hallway and you can kind of shoot at them and you know it it the bullets and they just, have a force field they have yeah, a, yeah. the bullets ping off they've got a kind of matrixy force field they've got all the like you know it really does no damage and and they're just going to mow you down and keep mm. coming and i mean it, one of them is bad enough i mean imagine when there were 10 million of them you know and hence his sort of fear of them as a group um and they do have that kind of nazi sensibility of all difference is bad all difference is you know to be exterminated um and you know and we're only about you know promoting ourselves and killing everything else and setting ourselves up as the only beings in existence the yeah Hmm. So, well, here's a question, I may, and maybe you know this or not. Is the the moment where we get to see, you know, the Dalek opens up so we can feel the sunlight, yeah. which clearly seems out of character. Yeah. Um, and, is this, well, and is what this an interesting big, design thing of how pathetic it is on the inside. Yeah. Contrasted well, to the shell. And that's what I was going to ask. Is is this a big reveal moment? Like, is this the first time we've ever seen inside the shell? That of is a great question. I don't know the answer. Um, um, so I would have to go and look that up. I, I don't know. And 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 I, the reason I ask is because I think, metaphorically, sort of to what we've all been talking about, this, it's the cracking of the outer shell, yeah. right? Like it, it wouldn't it, surprise. To- it wouldn't surprise me if that was the first time. It it, it totally feels to me yeah. like it's. It's it's this idea of, you know, we, like you said, we have the impenetrable, you know, there's the force field and the metal and, and you know, the advanced weaponry and, and, and intelligence and all of this that just the doctor can't reason through, the, the soldiers can't shoot through. Yeah. Um, and all of this. And and in the end, it's it's Rose's empathy again, which and, and her connection of. A feeling which the Dalek has never before been able to feel until it met Rose, being able to feel the sunlight physically to feel the sunlight, not emotionally, and the Dalek's desire then to feel that mm-hmm. become becomes again that catalyst that she's you know she's the facilitator, she's the humanizer, yeah, um, to 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 get it to crack its shell open to not be forced open, but for it to decide to open up on its own, yeah, um. And so, yeah, so that was just, that was a, a curiosity I had just sort of as we've been talking. And, and I, you know, thought when I was watching it, too, I, I wasn't sure. Um, but just was curious if that was, you know, have, had we ever in the past or had people who watched it in the past ever seen Inside the Shell of a Dalek? Um, because if not, then that's such a big moment, I'm, I imagine. Wait. Okay. Oh, uh, oh no, we're doing doing I, a little we're, we're in podcast googling as we speak. We're doing live research. So, um, <laughs> hold on. Oh, so, so, so while you're, okay. While so, you're... according to this one website, which is the Doctor Who site dot co dot uk, 
which seems okay. like a reasonably totally legitimate, to, reasonably site. legitimate site. It I says that close. it says that the no, first Clive, time, Clive. the first time we got to see the inside of a Dalek clearly was in the episode Dalek, where the casing opened to reveal the mutated Dalek. Okay. So we're gonna take that as gospel unless we find out otherwise. Yeah, that sounds good to me. And I'm I, sure people clearly, will hasten to correct us if we are wrong. Clearly we are, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> a few other things I think we need to talk about okay. in this episode. Not much, because, I mean, the whole episode was about the, the Dalek and his, his uh, uh, relationship to the Doctor there. But we get this one crazy reference from the Dalek up to the Doctor saying... What good are emotions if you won't save the woman you love? Uh huh. How do you feel about that? I mean, the Dalek seems to know so much about the Doctor. Is this? Are we to take this as actual? I mean, he doesn't deny it. So you know, in in our conversations before about uh-huh. about the the innuendo this is clearly right right not innuendo. no this is not innuendo <laughs> this seems pretty straightforward yeah um and 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 coupling that with the doctor's own statements to van staten that the daleks are honest like they they can't not be honest it uh-huh. seems like they they he's calling it like he sees it yeah <laughs> you know he and with his newfound empathic abilities to sense emotions mm-hmm. like it seems to me that we're t- supposed to take that pretty much at face value. That that the doctor is in his own way in love with Rose. So you can either right. be silent on the matter or or confirm. I think I think that's that's about as much as I mean okay. we don't. The doctor doesn't say anything. The doctor so. doesn't say anything. I I don't feel like I can say anything based <laughs> on this episode. You know, I mean, right. now it is All interesting. Right. We get the whole at the same time. We get the also non innuendo flirting with Rose and well, Adam. and this is what's bugging the heck out of me because <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm no fan of Mickey. You know this. So uh-huh. I'm okay with Rose finding some other guy. Um, you know, right. on the road here. But if the doctor's, you know, involved here, I uh-huh. mean, this is, I mean, and then Adam goes with them at the end. He does go with them at the end. He goes with them at the end, whereas Mickey wouldn't. So right. good for him. Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm I think... flabbergasted. I'm, I'm aghast <laughs> in a way. I think, I mean, I think that's about as much information as we have at this point. I mean, yeah, I'm not sure what else I can say without going further in yeah, the story than Yeah, don't I mean, give away anything. No, I mean whatever, what do you but... what do you think? So when the Daleks said so forget about Rose's um whole you know forget about whatever Rose is or isn't aware of. Um so <laughs> when the Dalek made that statement He's a bit pretty. Sorry, I hadn't noticed. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, of course you hadn't. (laughs) um, What did you think? Did that sound plausible? Does that jive with what you've seen so far? Did that seem like totally left field? No way, you know how how true did that sort of feel to where they are? The trouble I'm having is, what does it mean for the doctor to love someone? Okay, 
he clearly has this altruistic sensibility, as as we've both noted on many occasions. He clearly also has a particular affinity for Rose. Okay. And that seems to be true to me. Yeah. I don't know yet. Whether it could if, be called. If, if, yeah. if love is, like, you know, if we're, if we're going to go all Greek, like, or, you know, are we talking eros right, you know right. are, we, are talking we talking agape are yeah. we talking other types of love you know like what what are we talking yeah. here are we talking philios so yeah. are, you know it's 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 such a vague word yeah. in a way and also such a meaningful word yeah. <laughs> in such a way so like it's clearly the doctor seems to accept the daleks it seems clear to me that the doctor is set, is accepting the Daleks. He doesn't get uh, all. Oh, geez, what are you talking about? I have, yeah, you yeah. know, which yeah. which which is different than. I mean, they clearly said it's not a sexual relationship. Uh-huh. He's not denying that there's not love. Right. So so. Right, and like you said, there are many kinds of love. So there could be, you know, love could be, you know, I love her. It could be romantic love. It could be, yeah. you know. But the way, but the way that the Dalek phrases it, yeah, the woman implies you love. Yeah. Yeah. a romantic love. Yeah, it doesn't imply a, a humanistic or a you know a, a, a brotherly whatever mm-hmm. you want to call that a, a, a filial sort of love, which just means brotherly. So I don't know why. Anyway, um, anyway, so the the the. So I would say two things to this at at this point, you know, we'll come back to it, but, uh, (laughs) Oh, I'm sure we will. (laughs) Uh, so one would just be that, you know, obviously deliberately ambiguous, deliberately uncommented upon and kind of, you know, we'll just let that sort of lie for now and see how we feel over the course of, you know, the next couple episodes or season or whatever. Um, the other point being, I think part of the ambiguity is the hesitance of, I think I mentioned this before that, you know, classic, the classic doctor was always, um, very, you know, unemotional and I mean, not, it's complicated, different actors had different approaches and whatever, but they never had the doctor with a romantic interest in the classic show that just wasn't romance and sex weren't part of his character um you know so i mean i'm i'm sure part of that's because it's family friendly part of it's because he's alien for whatever reason that was the way so i think for them bringing the show back introducing that romantic element is a very delicate thing so i so it is ambiguous so you know, I'm not just saying it's all that means he is completely in love with her and, and that's all just subtext or whatever. Like, it may or may not be there. But I think sure. they're wanting to both challenge the audience expectations of what the doctor is capable of feeling. So there's wanting to push the envelope a little bit there, but also not wanting to scare away the classic fan. So we're going right. to we're gonna push the envelope, but we're going to do it very very carefully um right. so it's a little bit of a dance um you know so i think that's part of you know so we so this is a pretty bold statement considering all of that um but again they don't comment on it like we're gonna save 
we're just gonna leave that alone and and yeah they're silent completely, completely silent. silent and we're just gonna maybe address that a little further down the road and it's a very sort of tentative and sort of gradual thing so and 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 again, with the introduction of of this other potential romantic interest yeah. for Rose, yeah, it and and it adds a new dynamic, and to and that. you don't know at the end if the Doctor is like the whole comment about you know he's a bit pretty, yeah. It, it is that is that jealousy? Statement. Yeah. yeah, 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 maybe. I don't know. Um. Anyway, right. Well, so. it could just be. Yeah, I mean, you could take that either way. That could be, you know. That could be a jealous sort of comment, you know, but that could also just be the snarky doctor who takes the yeah, Mickey yeah. out of all the boys and, you know, like, like he did with Mickey, Mickey. who, now Mickey, took the Mickey, out of Mickey. Taking Mickey out of Mickey, and Mickey <laughs> was the boyfriend, but I don't think the doctor saw him as any sort of threat. So, you know, right. so it's, yeah, it's a little, it's well, a little and, ambiguous. And, and we get that alpha male moment yeah between the doctor and van staten and 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 it's almost right. this is almost like if their book ends this what is almost you say like you can feel the testosterone or something yeah 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 well and this is almost a bookend to that you know so if, if we're framing it here but um of course that that's different and and we didn't really talk about this aspect of it per se um the doctor's whole you know i don't need to make claims i know how good i am uh he he does. He knows exactly how good he is. And, and he, he knows he's way better than Staten. Yeah. But then, of course, when he gets into the room with the Dalek, he knows how, how um, I don't want to say ineffectual, because clearly he ends up being, in a way, effectual against the Dalek. Although, I guess it's more Rose than him who, who defeats the Dalek in the end. But he knows that he's, he's not a match for a uh, unrestrained Dalek. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, and, and it's not until he realizes it's restrained and can't move that he's feels some sort of release and then laughs at it. Yeah. A sort of hysteric joy that he can now try to destroy it. Yeah. Um, but, but you do get those sort of two alpha male moments in, in, um, the doctor there where, but, but again, you know, it's, it's not, it's very different from Xander's alpha maleness. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's just sort of a more confident yeah. and, and awareness, which is totally not Xander. Well, he it's, knows it's an awareness. Yeah. Of what he, he knows is. he's in control and he knows enough to know when he's not in control. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, uh, yeah, very much more like Buffy, I suppose in, yeah. in that yeah. sort of a way. Um, in in some respects, I don't want to make too much out of that <laughs> distinction because that could go down some weird roads. <laughs> um, anyway, the we have to talk about mythology. I know we're almost yeah. out of time, yeah. uh, but but we have to talk because you get some great information and it's sort of dispersed throughout the episode. It's not all up front. First, and, before we and do that, also quite sorry, ambiguous again. That well, it's yes. a lot of lines that seem to be significant, but like that one about Rose, it's like, okay, are we taking this at face value? What does that mean? Is there pieces that are missing? You learn more, but then you you don't learn enough. All right. So piece number one that I'm going to bring up, and only because you mentioned this to me that I need to be aware of this. I never need to mention this again. Okay. 
<laughs> yes, exactly. The the uh, so as the the helicopter is coming down, we get Bad Wolf One descending. Right. And that's all right. So all right. Bad Wolf. Bad cool. Wolf. Another re- another reference. I still don't know what that means, but you said to watch out for that. So. Yeah. And it's been over the course of multiple episodes. Yes. At this point. You're. I mean, obviously, nobody knows at this point what it, we don't know what it means. But I think you're getting the idea that. This is an Easter egg. That this is find the bad wolf in the episode. It's it's in here somewhere, and and the astute viewer will pick up on it. You know? And and I I don't think I've seen it in every episode, so I may have to. I go back think and... they, I think they it... are in them. Now we may have only started. I think the first one that I mentioned it was when Gwyneth said the big bad wolf, because that's the first one where it's really in your face. It may have been in the first two, though, sort of tucked away, hidden somewhere, but... Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, um, all the Daleks and the Time Lords burned. Uh-huh. There was, like, some nuclear holocaust or something that... All right, I mean, some, probably not nuclear, but some other type of... Yeah. ...burning event. Um, so, that point... Point number one. one. Um, the doctor is the only survivor. We knew that already. He's yes. the last of the time Lords, but we didn't know that all the rest had burned up in this one event. Uh huh. Right. Like it, they could have petered out over time. Died out over time. Right. 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 So, so that's, that's what we get. Doctor's the only survivor. And so clearly the Stalic somehow is also the only survivor. Right. Uh, Presume. I don't know. You see, you seem to be implying that maybe there are other Daleks out there, but I, maybe I'm reading too well, much into like l- your, your pauses and. No, I mean, <laughs> look, it's a show about time travel, so you know that could mean. So a, we may that go could back mean a time. lot of different things. So I won't say, oh, this is or isn't the only Dalek left, but I will say they've had these Daleks in the show since freaking 1963. They're not about to never use them again as a concept. All right, so, all right, fair enough, fair enough. That's what I'll say at this point. <laughs> You're going to have to be satisfied with that. <laughs> all right, so the Doctor and the Dalek, as far as we know, they're the last two of each of their respective races. The Doctor says he knows that they're that this is the last Dalek and la- that he's the last Time Lord because he watched this horrible nuclear whatever burning holocaust happen. Yeah. And then he says... I made it happen. Mm-hmm. That's sucks. <laughs> if that's really the case, like if he's really the one who like set his entire race on fire along with all the Daleks who he wanted to kill, I'm sure that's just horrible. That's awful. And then the implication, which we've got before that he was a coward, uh, the Daleks says, and the coward survived. Right. Uh, and then that's repeated later by, is it Van Staten who says, you survive too, and then the doctor says, not by choice. Right. Again, choice. Choice being, he says, I had no choice, and you survived, not by choice. So, the choice is being emphasized once again. Yeah. Um, no, so, I think, I mean, it's the same thing as the thing with Rose. It's, I mean, now this is even less explicit. There, at least the Dalek, the Dalek says something and the doctor doesn't comment on it here he does everything except outright state what it is that is seeming to be implied which is that i mean the the implication is 
the Time Lords and the Daleks died at the same time or in the same cataclysmic event. Like in one big In one big whatever, and the Doctor yeah. did it. Um, now, in all those little puzzle pieces, all of those things are never really stated that definitively. But you do get the pieces of it. You can kind of assemble the picture. Yeah, so, these are, I mean, these are kind of distributed throughout Yeah, the no, yeah, episode, he says, so. yeah, you kind of have to assemble them into something that makes sense because he says $10 million. And hope you didn't miss something yeah. or, or miscontextualize. Exactly. Well, and you can't be sure that you're not, because they're all coming out of context and, and in fragmented chunks, you know. So he says $10 million, wiped out in one second. I watched it. I made it happen. So he said he destroyed the Daleks. That's what he says there. So we kind of know that. Um, now, but we know that the Time Lords burn. We know that well. the Time Lords burn, and the Dalek says, "All gone," or, or no, he says to the Dalek, "All gone. They burned with you." So now, does he literally say, "I killed all of the Time Lords"? Yeah, no, that's what it's, I mean, that's that, the when implication. When you put A plus B, or, you know, one plus two equals three kind of a thing, that, like, that's, you know, it, it's, it is ambiguous, but you can kind of, we're starting to get a better picture of what exactly yeah. went on. Um, yeah. And the, the whole not by choice, whatever it was that he did, the not by choice to me, implies that he assumed he was going down with the ship. That's my reading. But we don't, again, we don't... We don't know exactly what that means. Um, I don't know what else to say about that, because this is all we get. Yeah. Yeah, there's not much to say. It's Wittgenstein, where where you don't know anything, you can't speak about it. <laughs> um, all right. So I guess, I guess we've come to an impasse. Um, we, we will have more to talk about next week. So unless there's anything else, this, this was a good set. And I think just sort of going off of what you were saying at the beginning, I mean, this is, it really is kind of cool to see how these, these two shows are still sort of, coming together so nicely and 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 i mean even though they were both pretty dark and yeah. and whatever like it's it it is interesting and i'm 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 glad we uh i'm glad we're having fun with this whole whole concept because this is uh it's working out better than than maybe we expected yeah definitely so thank you everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next week see you then mm-hmm.